So we've uh, been uh, in our Advent series, and we're calling it Advent Kindled. And last week we talked um, about hope, and we described hope sort of in a different way. It's not necessarily like there's this cute, cuddly, bouncing baby boy, Jesus, who's come to the world and everything is roses now, but really in the face of everything, we get to join into a new narrative, the biblical narrative of hope, and it's a little bit absurd. Hope is the absurdity of hope, and with, um, with viewing uh, the world as God sees it, Sometimes it's absurd to have hope in the face of everything that's being thrown at us. So we encouraged one another to have hope in difficult circumstances. And this week in Advent, we're going to talk about peace and what it means to kindle peace in our hearts and in our families and in our community and in our city. And so we're going to talk about a few different, um, a few different, uh, passages of scripture and just invite the Lord into that. So I just wanted to welcome him. Um, can we do that together? So let's just pray and welcome his presence. Father, we welcome you here. We welcomed you with our worship. Uh, Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. Would you come, Holy Spirit, as we sang, would you come and walk through us this morning and settle on hearts Where people are afraid, would you come and bring peace? Where people are disturbed or distraught, would you come and bring order out of chaos? And would you come and bring um, peace to the places that are in the margins of our lives? Would you come and restore uh, peace to our lives? Would you come and be Prince of Peace, Jesus? I ask that you would speak through me, Lord, that I would say something that would just settle in people's hearts that would be from you. And I ask, Jesus, that you would give some gifts of faith this morning and that my words would be a blessing. They wouldn't be a curse, that they would be a blessing for people. And that you would be honored, Jesus. We want to experience your smile upon us as a community. We love you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so peace. As I was looking at um, scriptures this past week and over the past month preparing for this series, um, I noticed something really, really cool, that Jesus' life was bookended by gifts of peace. And I just, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but I felt like it was really fresh for me this Advent season. And he kind of gave me this picture of these two bookends, you know, that hold books together in a place, in place on a shelf and how Jesus' life was like that, bookended by gifts of peace. And that's sort of been a picture that God's given me in this Advent season to remind me of who he is. And so 
everything about who Jesus is is marked by peace. Everything. His arrival to the scene was announced by peace. Anywhere Jesus' kingdom comes, anywhere Jesus' hand touches, you can be sure it'll be marked by a sense of peace. But as we look around at our world, we're acutely aware that that's not the reality of the world that we live in. The other night, um, I went to West 83rd and Lorraine, and I visited a friend of our church. His name's Stephen, and his family. He's got like seven kids, Stephen and his wife and his kids and his brother and, um, and another family were uh, flown out of Uganda by the UN and have been settled in Cleveland. Did they choose to settle in Cleveland? No. Had they ever heard of Cleveland before they came to John Hopkins International Airport? No. This is the way that the UN does it. The UN identifies immigrants, refugees, boards them up on a plane, and then there's a quota for cities. Can Cleveland handle this many refugees from Uganda? Yes. And so Stephen gets to live in Uganda. And I had the pleasure of meeting Stephen the other night, and we sat down, and communication is a little bit tough um, because he doesn't know, uh, well, he, he, know, he hardly knows any English at all. And so communication is difficult. Right off the bat, we see the practical felt need, right? And so as Stephen and I were talking, um, it became really clear that there ha- all Stephen knows is life in a Ugandan refugee camp. And I'm not saying this to tug at your heartstrings, you know, like, oh, poor Stephen. Like, that's just the reality of his life. All he knows is living in a Ugandan refugee camp. So everything in Cleveland is like amazing, right? For, it's, and scary at the same time. And he communicated to me through really broken English that there hasn't been, you know, he grew up in uh, the DRC, in the Congo, and you know with the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army, and then um, the whole invisible children thing with Ugandan child soldiers and all of this, he communicated to me, you know, there hasn't been a period of more than like a year and a half or two years in Stephen's life where he hasn't seen war. You know, it's like, it's like his family being approached um, by rebels and give us your cell phone or, you know, that's it. We're going to kill you. And that's the story of many uh, refugees in Uganda. And so as we were talking, I felt like um, it would be good to share his story and how our story as a church plays into Stephen's story. God's doing something with our church and refugees. And we're, we'll see this in the coming years that we'll, as a church, we will be leading the way and welcoming refugees into Cleveland, whether they are from Syria or from Southeast Africa or from Nepal. Uh, God's heart for us is to welcome the other. And we see different churches doing that in the Cleveland area and they're 
and they're helping out here and there and have resources to do that. But I believe that you'll see Vineyard Cleveland will lead the way in what it means to welcome immigrants and welcome refugees in the, in the next five to ten years. It's God's heart for our community to do so. And as we were talking, I noticed that Stephen was sitting down and he was wearing the um, African flip-flops. Anybody who knows, anybody who's been to Southeast Africa knows about the African flip-flops. Um, flip-flops are all, pretty much all African uh, people wear. I know that's a hasty generalization, but if you go to a Southeast African country, you'll see most people are wearing the flip-flops. And here we are, it's December 4th, and Stephen's wearing flip-flops. And um, Stephen's not wearing flip-flops because he thinks that flip-flops are cool. He's wearing flip-flops, wearing flip-flops in winter is cool. He's wearing flip-flops because, you know, that's all he has. This is his first winter in Cleveland, and I got to thinking, and I'm not the smartest tool in the shed by any stretch of the imagination, but I asked Stephen, I said, um, do you guys have any winter coats, <laughs> like, anywhere in your house? And he's like, well, like, maybe one or two. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, that's terrible. As I'm looking around at seven kids running around the place, and I was like, you know what's interesting is that our church just did a winter coat drive. And that's when the kingdom broke in. I was like, ah, that's why we had the coat drive this year. That's why we did the coat drive. There are 35 winter coats just sitting in Tom's office back, back there. 35. So there's a practical felt need. And, and uh, Pete and Lydia and Keith and Karen, leaders at our church, are taking every Monday on and off to meet with Stephen and his family to help them get driver's licenses, jobs, library cards, help with English, all of this mentoring that's happening combined and coupled with meeting practical felt needs of having a winter coat in Cleveland. Amazing. And I tell you all of this to encourage you, one, but also just to be reminded that there hasn't been more than a period of more than two years in Stephen's life where he hasn't known the effects of war. So when we look out at the world, we, we see, we call Jesus Prince of Peace. But we look out at the world and we see that that's not, it doesn't look like that's the reality of the situation. And so there's a, an apparent disconnect there. Like what, what is going on there? And we look out and we see people like Stephen. We, we look out and we hear radio reports from the city of Aleppo in, in Syria where that city's being torn apart right now and Refugees are pouring out of the country of Syria only to face locked borders in Europe or in America. Like, what's going on? I don't think there's been a period in the world's history for more than 30 years where there hasn't been a war. And we're going to talk about peace today and what Jesus means when he says, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave to you. And what it means that his life is bookended and marked by peace. And what it means for us to be a community 
of peacemakers. And so I wanted to read a little bit on that in Luke and in Isaiah. So if you wanted to turn there with me, we're going to read the account of uh, Jesus' birth announcement through the angels. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. They're at either side of the stage by the Christmas trees. You can pick one up now or on your way out. It's fine. Luke is in the New Testament. And Luke writes this. In chapter 2, verse 8, Luke says this about Jesus. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, here it is, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. Can you imagine that? Amazing. (laughs) Appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. In the way that this is written in the Greek, period. Picture a period there. Glory to God in the highest, comma, and on earth peace. To men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. What's happening here? Why are the angels saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests? Well, If you flip back to Isaiah with me, we'll read Isaiah 9, and we'll figure out what's happening here. Why are the angels saying, on earth, peace? Isaiah 9, verse 2, here's the prophecy. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Verse 3, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. Putting away war there will be fuel for the fire. Here it is. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase, I love this, of the increase of his government In peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, 
establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So what the angels mean, what the angels are saying, what's happening here when they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, God is giving the angels a command and he's saying, go to these shepherds of all people and say this. Angels are what? Angels are messengers of who? God. And so they're not sending messages without receiving them first from the Father. And the Father says, say this. Intuitively, the angels know the prophecy. They know it. The heavenly hosts know it. In fact, they were created, angels were created to anticipate this moment when Messiah comes. But there's a mystery in what's happening here. Because although the angels know the prophecy, for unto us a child is given, the angels know literally the government will be on his shoulders. And so when they come announcing Jesus' birth, there's a mystery involved here. Because what they're anticipating is what men and women are anticipating in this time. If Jewish Messiah comes, Jewish Messiah will reign in Jerusalem over a nation, over a people. But that's not what God is up to in the person of Jesus. It's deeper. It's, I feel like it's this moment, like in Narnia, you know, when Aslan says that there's a deeper magic happening that the witch didn't know about. There's a, there's a deeper work happening here in the person of Jesus because Jesus will sit on the throne and reign over all of the earth one day, you can be sure. But in these days, through the cross of Jesus, how did he do it? How, how will there be an increase of peace and his government for all time and forever? After time, he's doing it individually through hearts. He's transforming hearts. The transformative work of the cross is the intersection of the mystery of how the angels are saying on earth peace in the birth of Jesus Christ. Can you see it? It's not, it's not nations now. It's individuals. God's not dealing with nations now. It's individuals. Yeah? And we can see this where? Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1, real quick. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We have peace with God. 
with God. Amazing. Through what? Faith in Jesus. It's not nations, it's individuals. That's what he's doing. So his arrival is marked by peace. The Old Testament word for peace, I'm sure you've heard it. It's really popular in evangelical circles today. Everybody likes to say it. Shalom. Shalom. It's like really cool if you can say shalom. Like in a teaching. Like I just did. (laughs) Tim Keller is the... uh, pastor at Redeemer Church in New York City in Manhattan, and he says this about shalom, the Old Testament word for peace. He says, shalom is the webbing together of God and man with all creation to create universal flourishing and wholeness. God has made the world like a garment with billions of entities interwoven to make up the beauty of all that is created. Don't you love that? Sin has come in and torn a hole in the fabric. There's thriving in the peace of God and flourishing in this word, in this definition of what it means to have peace. And it's found in the person of Jesus. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace. Peace is so connected with the person of Jesus. He's called the Prince of Peace. Now we could substitute any of the themes of Advent for Jesus' title, right? He's the Prince of Love. He's the Prince of Joy. He's the Prince of Hope. But only, only peace. In the, New, in, in the Old Testament prophecy, he's, he's only called the Prince of Peace in the Bible. Where we could, why? Why is it? It's so connected to the person of Jesus. Like you can't separate peace from the person of Jesus. It's who he is. And we'll get to more later on that. About how, what role we play in that. But his ascension is also marked by peace. When he leaves, everything, everything about Jesus is marked by peace. In John 14, 27, look at this. We read this. He's talking to his disciples. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Here it is. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. It's like one of the last things that Jesus says. One of the last things that he says to his closest friends is giving them the the gift of peace. His life is marked by it. Jesus' life is marked by peace. And notice how he says, I don't give as the world gives. You know, I feel like it's commonplace in teachings to say about peace that it's not like the world, um, God's definition of peace is not just the absence of war. I mean, we don't even know that in our world today. But, but 
Every preacher will say it to you when they get up and teach. Well, you know that God's definition of peace doesn't just mean the absence of war. And you're like, oh, great. You know, tell me something I don't know. But it's always, but the world's, the peace that, does the world even offer peace is what we, we were after this week trying to get at this thing of shalom or Jesus' peace. Does, can the world even offer something? The best it can do. The best, it, the best that, it can, that the world can offer is like the absence of peace. It's even like defined in dictionaries and in different languages negatively. It's even defined that way. Only, only in the Bible, only in Jesus do we find like a positive definition of what it means to have peace with God. You know, folks might not, might not describe the emptiness they feel as lack of peace. Some would use the words, I'm so lonely. Others might say, if my spouse would love me more, I'd be happy. Or if I only could be successful in my career. But these are all variations of the same theme. There's something wrong and I'm not happy. I have no peace. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Do you see? It's all dealing with me. Me, me. When people think about peace, it's all about them. It's different in Jesus because it's all about him. Our society bombards us with these messages that supposedly answer this question. If only you were thinner, dressed better, drove a Jaguar, lived in a nicer house, made more money. The list goes on and on. But none of those answers that society proposes can permanently or satisfactorily provide what we crave. They just fall short. They can't. They might offer a moment's worth of tranquility and subside and numb, serve to numb the emptiness for just a second. You see this all the time in, in the life of addicts. You know, just for a minute to, to numb the thing that's going on inside of them the craving that's happening, which is really for the person of Jesus. The New York Times once observed that peace is a fable. You can't get it. I don't think that... Do you know that one, like, Christianese saying, it's like, no, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. <laughs> it kind of it like is a little bit short-sighted, but it serves to remind us that like, it's just impossible to get, to get this sense of like, wholeness apart from the presence and person of Jesus. So how... How can we receive the gift of peace? How do we receive peace? Because there needs to be a need before we can apply. Before we build on this, we need to identify a need. Need before application. 
How do we receive it? How do we receive peace? Sometimes it's difficult to receive. Sometimes it's difficult to receive because we're afraid to be vulnerable. With God, we're afraid to lead authentic lives. Before God, we choose to live in a lie rather than the truth, which is that we're always before the face of God. There's not a place or a person you can go to where you're not before the face of God. It's difficult to receive peace. Because receiving peace is going to cost us. It might cost you... um, Sometimes... Okay, what's another way to put it? Sometimes uh, we're gluttons for punishment. Can we all agree there? I think sometimes on the surface... We, we like to stay in our brokenness. Because after all, what would Thanksgiving dinner be if you didn't argue with your brother? When people define roles for you, it's really comfortable to stay put in that brokenness. And so in doing so, We say to Jesus, you know, I know you're offering peace here, but I'm kind of comfortable in my mess here. And, you know, my, my, and then, (laughs) and then we, and then we begin speaking the enemy's tongue. Don't we? On to relationships. You know, Jesus, I know that we're, called to receive your peace and that you're the prince of peace and that um, the gift of, you left us the gift of peace and the Holy Spirit and peace with you, God. But you know, my my mom and dad are always going to be like that. You see how that's, that's the language of the enemy. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll always or we become discouraged. We choose not to receive Jesus' peace in a relationship or in an area of sin that Jesus is putting his finger on because we like the mess. We like living in our brokenness. It feels good, but it doesn't satisfy. But deep down, I have to believe that what we're really after, what we're really craving is the peace, the shalom of God, the quiet waters of Jesus. But a lot of times we settle for the stagnant, you know, the stagnant pool on the side of the river where the, where the mosquitoes breed and the, the algae blooms because it's going to cost us receiving peace. So how do, how do we receive it? Well, it's impossible apart from Jesus. But that's the thing about peace, is peace is always marked by impossibility. In Isaiah 11, we read, um, 
impossible things happening. When Jesus' peace comes, you can uh, guarantee, you, you can bank on it that impossible things will take shape. What kind of things will happen when Jesus' peace comes? Well, the lion will lay down with the lamb. Impossible. Predator and prey. And is occupying the same space. Maybe a better way to say this is when Jesus' peace comes, all of the animals will be vegetarians. <laughs> the lion will lay down with the... That was a joke. The lion will lay down with the lamb. These impossible things happening. And so it takes the gift of faith in us through Jesus to believe that the impossible will take shape. The impossible of receiving Jesus' peace. The lion and the lamb laying down together. Receive, that's what receiving Jesus' peace is all about. Believing that, you know, that I know, that I know that things are broken in my life. I know that things are broken in the city of Cleveland. I know that things are broken in your job situation. I know that things are broken in your family dynamic. But I'm committed to being a person of peace in that, despite everything going on around me, I will choose to be a peacemaker because that's who you are if you claim Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's part of your identity. Look at this. Oh, this is awesome. We must become peacemakers. If we follow Jesus, you are called to be a peacemaker. And we'll, we'll see what that looks like here in a second. Look at the Beatitudes. This was sweet. This was a small group nugget this week. Oh, so good. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples, he's ready to teach. Every time Jesus sits down, he's ready to teach. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Check it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Ha! Jesus is blowing it up. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What do you get? What do you get? You get the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. When you do, when you do that, when you do, when you mourn, you, what do you get? You get comfort. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What do you get? You get full. Mm, satisfied. You get filled. Blessed are the merciful. When you show mercy, you get you get mercy shown back to you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Your eyes get opened. You see, you see, senses. Blessed are the peacemakers, for you're going to be called children of God. In all of this teaching, what Jesus is throwing down here, 
It's the only one, notice, blessed are the peacemakers, that deals with the identity of the individual. You'll be called, you belong to God. Everything else you get, you get this, you, you do this, you, you receive comfort. When you're a peacemaker, you're called a son. You're called a daughter. You look like God. When you bring peace, what does that look like to be a peacemaker? What does it look like to be a peacemaker? What's he talking about there? How are you going to be called a son or a daughter? How are you called children of God? Really great story. In Albuquerque, uh, two, this is two weeks ago. This Muslim woman walks into Smith's grocery store. Have you heard this story? Do you know this story? It's two weeks ago. This Muslim woman walks into Smith's grocery and she's got the hijab on and she's got the full garb on. And this woman in a baseball cap, this white American woman in a baseball cap and, cap and sunglasses, um, walks, approaches her violently and starts screaming at her in the middle of the grocery store, get out of our country, you're a terrorist, what are you doing here? And this other bystander, this other, a woman, you know what she does? She walks over and stands in the middle. She stands in the middle of the woman who's yelling at the Muslim and the Muslim woman who's in hijab garb. And then something wonderful happens. The Albuquerque Press says that um, the, the employees of Smith's Grocery see what's happening and they, they come and they start, they start to line up and hold hands around this Muslim woman. What a perfect picture of what it means to be a peacemaker in our communities. It's, it's, it's an extravagant example, but that's what it looks like. And that's what we've got to look like, Vineyard Cleveland, to stand in the middle, to fill the gap, and to be peacemakers, to be called children of God. It could look a whole different, it could look like a whole, you know, slew of different things of what it means to be called a peacemaker, to be a peacemaker. You can be a peacemaker in so many different ways. Where do we start? A good place to start would be the prayer of St. Francis. Do you know this prayer? Maybe this will spurn some ideas. Maybe this will trigger some thoughts on how you can be a peacemaker. Because I don't know your situation. I don't know. I mean, I know some of you. I know like where you work. And, but you, you know, and God, God will give you ideas. Jesus will speak to you about what it means to be a peacemaker in your context. The prayer of St. Francis goes like this. Oh Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me show love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's discord, unity. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's error, truth. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's sadness, joy. Where there's darkness, light. O divine master, grant that I may not 
so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. So good. Did that start to trigger some ideas about how you can be a peacemaker in your community? That's who we're called to be. If we claim Jesus as Lord, if we claim Jesus as the image of the invisible, then we're to look like him. And what does he look like? Peace in community. He's the prince of peace. He's the image of what can't be seen. You can't see God. You can't touch God. How else are people going to see God? How else are people going to touch God if you don't become the image of the invisible? It's identity. Knowing that you are a son, you are a daughter, and so you go with what? Full authority, the gentle authority of Jesus when you walk into your workplace. Peace, peace should settle on that place. You ever do that? Have you ever been around people like that? They walk into the room, whoosh. You're like, dang, I just took a power nap. That was awesome. I feel refreshed. Why? Because, they, because just like them, you too carry hope inside of you. And you carry peace with you. It's, you can't, if you follow Jesus, you can't detach it from who you are. You are a peacemaker. Whether you like it or not, you carry peace. You carry peace on you and for the city. I wanted to close with Colossians 1. I felt like this is also a mark for, for our community in, in Advent season. This, this passage is like, ah, oh, so good. Colossians 1, 15 through 19. This is, this is it for us, Vineyard Cleveland. You, if, you, if you'd like, I've been, I've been waking up every morning and just and doing the Lectio Divina thing. You know, like slowly digesting this passage like little morsels. It's so good. Like for the Advent season, reminding me of what's happening. What's happening when Jesus comes to put on skin and bones to become like us. And it's really served as an amazing reminder and a, and a springboard for like the presence of God welling up in me. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Colossae. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was, ah, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, baby Jesus, fullness of God. Ricky Bobby, nine pounds, seven ounce, baby Jesus. <laughs> fullness of God stuffed in there. All of the fullness of God resting inside of Jesus. Mm. And through him, the fullness of God through him to reconcile, to set right all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by what? Making peace. Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Nugget, if you want to be a peacemaker, if you want to become a peacemaker and step into your identity as a son or daughter of Jesus, it starts at the cross. And that's going <laughs> to, that's a whole other sermon. Why don't you join me in standing, please?